From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in for this Monday edition of Washington Watch. Well, on this day, 22 years ago, terrorists targeted America on our own soil, resulting in the deaths of nearly 3,000 Americans. Despite two decades of fighting Islamic terrorists, the world is more dangerous and volatile today. America remains at risk as well because of the failed policies of the current administration, whether it is their open borders or they're elevating their radical social policy above national security. This is why we must pray for our nation. We must vote for biblical values and we must stand for truth no matter what. Well, according to President Biden, the mother of all threats is not terrorist. It's this. And the only existential threat humanity faces, even more frightening than a than a nuclear war, is global warming going above 1.5 degrees in the next 20, 10 years. And we're in real trouble. There's no way back from that. Well, there's a lot of lion dog faced pony soldiers out there about, about global warming, but not anymore. All of a sudden, we all realize it. it's a problem. And there's nothing like seeing the light. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. That was President Biden in a bizarre press conference yesterday on a stop in Hanoi after leaving the G20, Senate, uh, G20 meeting in India. I, I tell you, I wish we could put this administration to bed. Well, the left's unholy trinity of abortion, LGBTQ, and climate is seen throughout the Biden administration, most prominently in the military. Frankly, I think that we would be capitulating to this extraordinarily horrible uh, tactic that he has pursued if we began to do these nominations one at a time, as if that was either going to solve the problem at DOD or B, defend the rights of enlisted American women who are fighting for this country and don't need Tommy Tuberville telling them uh, what choices they should make about their bodies. That was Colorado Senator Michael Bennett on MSNBC trying to explain why Democrats don't want a solution to the current hold on military promotions. Also, did, did you notice that he said women shouldn't be told what choices they should make with their bodies? I, I, I wonder if that includes the COVID shots. I don't think so. Coach Tommy Tuberville, of Alabama joins us in just a moment. Vice President Harris's Saturday hip-hop celebration carried over into Sunday as she hopped around the question put to her by Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation about where she would draw the line on abortion. What is it that you believe? I mean, what week of pregnancy should abortion access be cut off? We need to restore the protections of Roe versus Wade. Which We're was- not trying to do something new. Well, that was nebulous because it was about viability, which could be anywhere between 20 to 24 weeks. Uh, Can I say she's not being honest? The reason she would not answer the question is that there is no limit they would support. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the Biden administration's radical abortion position a little bit later with FRC's Meg Kilgannon. Now, it's also clear from Vice President Harris's response that Democrats are struggling because they know their position is outside the mainstream. So they want to hide it. So that raises the question, why would Republicans actually be crawfishing on their life position? 
That's what Republicans in California are proposing to do in their state party platform. A conservative member of the California Platform Committee with the GOP, Josiah O'Neill, joins me with the details a little bit later. And here's some good news. In a 75-page ruling, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled the Biden administration strong-armed social media outlets to censor the free speech of Americans, a violation of the First Amendment. We're going to get the details on that explosive decision from Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, who, along with Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry, successfully brought the lawsuit. And I hope you are making plans to join me and hundreds of others here in Washington, D.C. this coming weekend for the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. If a number of the presidential uh, hopefuls on the Republican side are going to be here with us, uh, along with a number of congressional leaders and some very informative panels, as well as some of our nation's top pastors and spiritual leaders are going to be here with us as well. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com. Now, You might find this a little hard to believe, but even after 20 years of being here in Washington, D.C., I am amazed at the level of deceit that the Biden administration and the left is going to to ensure that their abortion agenda advances in the military. Now, aided by the lying legacy media, they want you, they want you to think that Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville has single-handedly stop the entire military in its tracks and, as a result, is putting our nation at risk. Wow. I mean, if he can do that, he must be pretty amazing. The truth is 300 military promotions have been slowed down. But this could be resolved overnight in one of two ways. The Biden military could do something novel to them, that is, abide by the law, and not fund abortion travel for the military in violation of law, or they could actually have floor votes on these nominations. Do it the old-fashioned way. Vote. Just returning from the Senate floor is Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Armed Services Committee and the Senate Committee on the Agriculture. Senator, welcome back to the program. Always great to see you. Good to see you, Tony. And please tell me that they're not putting out false information. They wouldn't do that. Come on. Senator, I'm telling you, you're smoking them out because I don't think they've ever had someone that has stood their ground as you have. And they're, they're, they're going to new, lot, new levels of deceit. I mean, to suggest that you have stopped the entire military from moving forward when, in fact, all they have to do is have a vote. Yeah, they've tried to make it very confusing, Tony, and they've done a pretty good job of that. Even some Republicans, Congressman McCall was on Meet the Press yesterday, and I think he was a little confused about what we're doing, said that we were holding back the nominations, and we're really not. We're just holding back uh, all of them at one time. Uh, They can confirm it as many as they want, as many as they can get in. It takes about two hours to do a a nomination, but they really don't want to work at it. They they don't. uh, Chuck Schumer doesn't want to bring it to the floor. He he understands that if he gives in this time that there might be somebody else in the near future do the same thing. So he wants to win this, but he's not going to win. Uh, he's sooner or later going to have to start nominating these people because people need to be moved up the ranks. Now, let, let, me, let me just break this down because you're right. There's been a lot of confusion, even as you said. Uh, knowledgeable Republicans are kind of confused on this process because let's be let's be 
honest. The, the rules in the Senate are a little hard to follow. So a senator can simply say, look, I'm not going to give unanimous consent, meaning we're not all just going to kind of, you know, nod our heads and say, yes, we want to make people vote on this. I mean, they have to go down to the Senate floor and vote. So we're hearing all this, that this is historic, that we've never done this before. That's not true. We've seen it before. But that we have service chiefs that are not being confirmed. Again, all they have to do is go down to the Senate floor and they can vote on them. They can vote on the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. They can vote on the Marine Corps uh, service chief. It's, it's real simple. Yeah, Tony, really, the military's only uh, situation that, that does uh, groups at a time, not just one. If we do a, a federal judge or circuit judge or somebody that needs a nomination like Secretary of State or, or uh, any of the, the cabinet members, it's just done one at a time. So you can put a hold on it all you want, but they can still run it through. But uh, the military is the only one that does groups of them at a time, uh, 10, 30, 50, 100, 150. Now we're up to 300. This is the first time it's been this high. But uh, that's the reason you can put a hold on it. But again, it's just for the full amount at one time. They can do one at a time as many as they want during the day. They probably could do seven or eight in a day. But uh, Chuck Schumer now is, He's he's playing uh, he's playing hardball. He says that we've got a joint chief of staff chairman that needs to be uh, confirmed. Uh, General Milley, who is in that position now, goes out at the end of September, and General Milley went through a single nomination confirmation, uh, just like they all have. But Senator Schumer says, "No, nah, we're not going to do it this time. We're just going to throw the joint chief of staff chairman in with the three hundred. And uh, we're just going to put pressure on on coach and it's not going to work. Uh, it's just it. You know, I don't care who it is. They don't need to be uh, approved as a group. So they're trying to blitz you, but you're staying in the pocket. Exactly right. I'm not flushing out of the pocket, Tony. I'm going to stay in the pocket and I'm going to take a lick or two. Uh, and that's what happens when you hang in that pocket. But sooner or later, I'm going to get the ball down the field and and complete some passes. Uh, well, let me tell you what you've got. The uh, the folks in the stands are on their feet cheering you for your leadership and courage, because we've not seen this in, in quite some time. I, I want to go to something you've been addressing, and, and that is the, the issue of what is really putting our military at risk. I, I, I don't know if you, you heard the clip I played at the top of the program, but it was by one of your colleagues, Michael Bennett, who uh, in an in interview with MSNBC said that uh, T- Tommy Tuberville shouldn't be telling women what choices they should make about their bodies. You know, I I asked the question, would that apply to the COVID vaccines when we've seen over 8,000 members of the military pushed out because they didn't want to get a jab? Uh, There's a little bit of hypocrisy here. And, and Tony, you can go back to the first part. I'm not telling uh, women what they can do and can't do. It's the Democrats in 1984 that voted, uh, and Joe Biden was one of them in the Senate, that voted this policy in to have abortion in the military only by the three exceptions, you know, rape, incest, and health of the mom. They're the ones that did this, not me. And so all I want to do is keep it the same way. But now because of roadway, they're kicking it down the road and say, we can't control the states, but we can control federal employees. And so they think that they can do this at their at, at their uh, demand. And we're just not going to allow that to happen. As you said, they're hollering and screaming about readiness. 8,000, Tony, 8,000 that just a snap of the fingers because they didn't take a vaccine because this crazy mandate that they had last year, they were, they were all fired up, man, we're going to run 
we're going to run all these people out of the military and because they don't they don't think like they do and they didn't want to take this vaccine so they kicked them out kicked them out without them having a job without uh, the mom and the kids having a place to go you're talking about kicking somebody to the curb I mean, they did 8,000 at one time. It is absolute shame what happened. It took us a year to get that under control. Finally, the Supreme Court said, you can't do that. And then Ted Cruz in July tried to put in the NDAA, okay, we made a mistake. Let's go back and put these 8,000 back into the military. The Democrats voted it down. They did not want to put the 8,000 back in, and we're having a heck of a time trying to get people in the military now because of the situation we're in and because of what the Democrats are doing to our Constitution. It's beyond amazing. They boot all these people out because they won't get a jab, and now they're saying that these... Uh, uh, because the law says the taxpayer should not be forced to fund abortion, they're, they're going bananas. And, and, and just one final note there. Uh, you've said this before, Coach, that there could be a floor vote on this policy as the, the Congress adopted it the first time. If they want to change it, just bring it to the floor and vote on it. Yeah, that's what we keep telling them. Just bring it to the floor. And of course, they do not want to start the precedent, Tony, of right. having to somebody, uh, one senator, tell them what they can and can't do. This is right. all about control. It is. This is about this is about them having the control of the reins, and not giving them to somebody else, and admitting that they were wrong. Uh, it is, uh, and I'm, my understanding too, in, in their their caucus meetings during the week, they are having some pretty good discussions. Oh, I bet and they I, are. I think Schumer's taking some pretty good hits from some of the other people. Coach, we're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time. We'll see you soon. All right, folks, stick around. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Monday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And I do hope you're planning to join me and uh, hundreds of others here in Washington, D.C. for the Pray Vote Stand Summit, which begins this Friday. In fact, Jonathan Kahn will be uh, our kickoff speaker on Friday morning. And the bookend to Friday will be Donald Trump. He'll be speaking uh, Friday night, uh, right after, uh, well, a little bit after we hear from uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And uh, earlier in the afternoon, we're going to hear from uh, Mike Pence, former vice president. So we've got a great lineup. Uh, check it out. Go to TonyPerkins.com. All right. So the left continues to claim that Republicans are misleading the public on where Democrats stand on the life issue by saying that they support abortion up until birth. Well, last month, former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was called out for her claim that no one supports abortion up until birth claim that she has doubled down on. But when asked, Democrats refuse to say where they will draw the line on abortion, instead pointing to Roe v. Wade as their gold standard. Out in uh, New Mexico, for example, the governor there says it shouldn't be nailed down to a week because it should be a private matter between a woman and her doctor. There shouldn't be a precise number put on that. Is that what you believe as well? I believe that we should put the protections of Roe v. Wade into law. And the way that will happen is if we have a United States Congress who, regardless of their personal view for themselves or their family, would agree that the women of America should be trusted to make decisions about their life and their body based on what they know to be in their best interest. It's that simple. Well, if it's that simple, why don't you answer the question? It's because they are lying. Joining me now to uh, shed some light on this lie is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. She served in the U.S. Department of Education during the Trump administration. All right, were those words too harsh? (laughs) 
I think that's pretty accurate. Well, look, she says, we, we're not doing anything new here. Mm-hmm. We're simply going back to what we had before Roe. That's not true. Right. Well, she was doing a lot of work in that clip, right? She's, she's giving out all, all of the, the, the Christian Catholic politicians who are personally pro-life right. the right to vote pro-choice, right? And then she's talking about codifying Roe or not codifying Roe, just going back to the protections. I mean, she's not even really committing to codifying Roe. But right? we know that's what they want because they've, they've introduced the Women's Health Protection Act. Nancy Pelosi put it in. That's what they want. And, and they're saying, well, we're just, we're just going to put Roe into law. But it goes much further than that. The Women's Health Protection Act does go much further than that. And I think that they, they are hitting on a nerve because people are... America is trained to sort of be comfortable with Roe in general terms. The the pro-choice right. community is, right? And so when they keep going back to that language around Roe, it allows them to be completely vague and supportive of a woman's right to whatever, you know, when we need to be more specific. Well, she's a lawyer. She knows that words matter. Actually, what we had before the Dobbs case is that we, we didn't have just uh, – Roe, we had Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which limited Roe, or actually allowed states to limit Roe. So, but what they're proposing is actually going back to Roe, which leapfrogs over Casey and goes back to where you have a national all-out abortion policy up until birth. Correct. Correct. And that's why she doesn't want to be specific about it, right? She's willing to talk about Roe in general terms because, because it polls it well. They don't because know people what it is. don't know what it is, right? right? They don't understand the, the gradual chipping away that the pro-life movement was so dedicatedly doing. And, um, you know, I, 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 you're, you're for killing people or you're for not killing people. If, if they do what she's proposing, the Women's Health Protection Act will make it more challenging to pass any type of law protecting the unborn. In fact, all of the state laws that are out there today would be nullified. Parental notification, uh, ultrasound laws. I mean, some very basic stuff that people actually agree in where you've got 70% agreement. Those would be gone. Right. And important protections for women's health. I mean, abortion is very dangerous to women's health in point of fact. And it, if, if it's going to happen, it needs to be very controlled. And so when they do something like the Women's Health Protection Act, they're rolling back all kinds of good regulations of this quote-unquote medical procedure that we really need um, for safety. I, I want to go, um, I, I actually zeroed in this earlier about something that um, Senator Bennett said, and, and she does the same thing here. The vice president says, uh, regardless of their personal view for themselves and their family, we would agree that the women of America should be trusted to make decisions about their life and their body based on what they know to be in their best interest. It's that simple. Would would that include the COVID shot? (laughs) Well, it certainly doesn't include the vote for the female child in the womb. Does yeah. it, or the male child in the womb? Right? I mean, the, the 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 duplicity and the hypocrisy here is is stunning. Well, that that seems to be one of their major uh, features these days. So, so, 
the reason they won't draw a line, I mean, we've got the um, pain-capable bill that Lindsey Graham has put forward, which when a baby feels pain in the womb, sucks its thumb, that's where the line would be drawn nationally. States can do more if they'd mm-hmm. like, but lead there'd be a national threshold. Democrats will not say 25 weeks, 30 weeks. They, they, they won't give a no, week. they won't commit. They won't commit to any limits on abortion, right, which is the logical the, the, the logic of Roe, right, is no limit, no limit. So that does mean abortion un- until birth, right? Yeah. It, it absolutely does include late-term abortion, abortion for them. Otherwise, they would say, well, we don't think past this point. But also I think they realize they are vulnerable. On this. That's why they don't want to be specific. No, that's exactly they, right. Because, because I mean, you've got 70 percent of the public, 60, 65 percent of the public supportive of when a baby feels pain and draw the line there. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And and it would be great if it was even earlier than that. Well, and the state should continue to do that, but at least having some threshold at the national level. But I absolutely I'm with you. It should be from the moment of conception. In my right. view. Right. I've always advocated for that. Meg Kilgannon, always great to see you. It's great to see you. All right, folks, stick around because, believe it or not, Republicans are retreating. They're crawfishing, as we say in Louisiana, walking backwards on the life issue when they should be moving forward. That's next. Don't go away. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash prolifemen to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. I think you probably thought I forgot this, but I didn't. Our word for today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. 
But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers who were more influenced by the surrounding culture than they were influencing it. These wealthy and educated believers were arrogant and basically thought they knew it all. Enough with words, Paul says. I want the evidence. The kingdom of God is more than bloviating. It is it results in transformative action. Proverbs 25:14 describes it this way, whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. This is what James said in James 2, faith without works is dead. Our faith should lead to transformative action. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, later this month, the California Republican Party will hold its annual fall convention in Anaheim. And a vote is expected on whether to amend the California GOP official platform ahead of the 2024 cycle. Among the changes that are being considered, stripping language that stood against same-sex marriage and abortion. Is this really a direction that the California GOP wants to head in, even in a state like theirs? I mean, the Democrats are on the, on the run on the life issue. But here, once again, Republicans snatching victory from uh, uh, taking it away, losing it. Well, joining me now to, uh, to discuss this is Josiah O'Neill, member, uh, a member of the California Republican Party Platform Committee. Josiah, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me on. All right. So can you uh, tell us what uh, is known so far about what's being proposed in terms of changes to the platform? Absolutely. Well, first of all, let me just give you the opposition's perspective. After a lot of digging, this is what I came up with. In a recent email that went out to all the delegates, a collection of three former assembly candidates put this statement out. They believed that the traditional perspective, essentially, on marriage and pro-life issues were, quote, shackling them to a lengthy, error-ridden word salad that the old platform has become. In another line, they said that the platform, as proposed to be amended, strips away, quote, outdated and illegal concepts, I'm assuming referring to marriage between a man and a woman, and poses a positive vision for a brighter and better California. So if you're wondering, that's what we're up against here as conservatives in the state. That is not from some far-left organization, but from our own Republican Party. And that's where we stand as of now. I mean, let's just take the life issue for a moment, because I mean, in the the language in the platform on life, it was fairly extensive. Uh, You know, we support a comprehensive ban on all human cloning. Uh, We support adoption as an alternative to abortion. Um, We believe that the question of abortion is a matter that should be left to the people through their elected representatives, not usurped by the United States Supreme Court, and and on and on. I mean, this is language very similar to what we see at the national level. The the point is these these, uh, platforms actually matter. About 80 percent of the time, the elected officials actually abide by those. Um, How intensive a fight is this going to be there in California over this platform? Well, Tony, I got to tell you, it's already escalated to the point of conflict. At the drafting uh, committee, their uh, physical tension broke out. The police had to be called. 
uh, over protesters who became unruly over this very issue. I mean, the truth is that the party has continually shown a disdain for the average voter. They're very distant from the political climate. They're not in touch with what conservatives want in California. What they're really doing is acquiescing the left's progressive agenda. And there's no further proof or greater proof than this recommended change. I mean, essentially what they've tried to smooth over as not a big deal is their explicit okay, we could say, to both uh, redefining what marriage is uh, from a Christian Judaic value, as well as easing up on our perspective on abortion. And if you look at the proposed, uh, and of course this is subject to change as the language has changed several times, but as of today, this is the latest proposal on right to life, that they want to see the numbers of abortions reduced. That's what the platform now right. said. I mean, this, of course, it, a drastic change. It, it sounds like, uh, I mean, what, what Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton used to say. I mean, what I see in this proposed language is, I mean, this is Biden and Kamala Light. I mean, this is what the Democratic Party stands Absolutely. for, just a little bit less. So what can people do to weigh in? Well, how, how can they help you? You're on the platform committee. What can people do that are in the Republican Party that want to see the party stay true to those core values? Honestly, it's a hard uh, it's a hard subject to tackle. A lot of us right now here in the state are trying to figure out how to deal with this. We're already at war with progressive Marxists here over our children and parental rights in schools. As you may have noticed today, California actually passed the gender affirming requirement in custody here, which means yeah. if you're a parent and you don't support transgendering your child, the judge has to lean on giving it to the parent that does. So amidst all of this, now we have to fight our own people. I, I would just say that this, obviously the convention is a time for delegates to speak up. I will be there as a member of the platform committee, but also just as a concerned delegate. Uh, let me share our fear, is that a great majority of Republicans view this as a final straw that breaks the camel's back. If the party goes through with this egregious insult to both our values and our conservative way of life, I fear that they will lose the only 25 percent of Californians that are even registered to yeah. vote as Republicans in this state. I agree. And then where do they stand? Yeah, Josiah, we're going to we're going to Josiah, yes, we're going to leave it there, but we're going to follow up with you as this uh, continues to unfold. Uh, thanks so much Absolutely. for being in the fight. All right, folks, stick with us. We're coming back with more Washington. Watch some good news out of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. That's next. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text to 67742 and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC celebrating 40 years with Ambassador Sam Brownback. FRC is a unique institution. I see that FRC's role going forward becomes even more important because the culture has moved so aggressively against a traditional set of values. And we're not talking about imposing values on anybody. We're talking about allowing people to practice values. And that's what, what FRC is has stood for, that's what it's standing for, that's what it will stand for in the future and why its role is just so critical. Well, we certainly appreciate Sam Brownback, who has uh, been a great defender of religious freedom, both domestically and uh, in our foreign policy. In fact, I've known Sam, he was one of the first, I think, probably one of the first folks I met here in Washington, D.C. about 25 years ago. He's been a great friend ever since. But those topics are topics that will be addressed this coming weekend at the Pray Vote Stand Summit. We'll be celebrating 40 years of standing for faith, family, and freedom. Uh, registration is still open, and there's still some room. So I encourage you to go ahead and register and be a part of this exciting event coming up this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Go to prayvotestand.org for details and to register. As we've uh, seen the past few weeks, the Biden administration has been preparing its response uh, to the election variant of COVID. Yes, it's so convenient how uh, COVID just kind of started popping up again now that we're moving into a major election cycle. It's what I call the election variant. They're also reaching for the same tools that they've previously relied on, masking, jabs, social distancing, and censorship. 
We are in regular touch uh, with these social media platforms, uh, and those uh, engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff, but also members of our COVID-19 team. Uh, given, as Dr. Murthy uh, conveyed, uh, this is a big issue of misinformation, specifically on the pandemic. That was former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki back in July of 2021, essentially admitting that the government, the Biden administration, was leaning on social media groups to censor the voices of Americans. Well, thankfully, that is one tool that they will be without this time around. On Friday, the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals said the Biden administration ran afoul of the First Amendment. With me now to talk about this and what it means is Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, who led the charge against the federal government's First Amendment violations. Uh, General Bailey, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me on. So um, let's get into to this. Now, you, along with the Attorney General in Louisiana, Jeff Landry, brought this suit to uh, against the Biden administration. Give us just a little bit of history before we go into the outcome of Friday's uh, opinion. This is all about protecting our constitutional right to free speech. You know, I believe, like the founders, that the rights codified in the Bill of Rights come from God, not man. The purpose of the Constitution is to protect us from the government. The, pur- the purpose of the First Amendment right to free speech is to invite dissent into free, fair, open debate, a marketplace of free ideas where we can disagree with the government. But what President Biden has done is is to coerce and collude with big tech social media to silence American voices in violation of the First Amendment right to free speech. The uh, the evidence that we've uncovered, 20,000 pages of documents, numerous depositions, uh, led to a preliminary injunction that was obtained on the 4th of July. We've got to build a wall of separation between tech and state. This preliminary injunction is the first brick in that wall laid in celebration of our nation's independence. And so proud of the work that Missouri and Louisiana have done to restore uh, the, the First Amendment right to free speech in the legacy of freedom that, that we've enjoyed that's been passed down by previous uh, generations. The Department of Justice is committed to future violations of our right to free speech. They are dedicated to their vast censorship enterprise. And so they appealed that preliminary injunction granted by the district court. And we were at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals where we argued that that injunction should stand. Uh, Department of Justice disagreed. Luckily, the, the third, uh, the three-judge panel at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with our side. And uh, within 10 days, that nationwide injunction will go into place unless the Department of Justice appeals to the United States Supreme Court. We've uncovered the worst First Amendment violations in this nation's history, but we're not going to let Joe Biden destroy free speech in America. Yeah, I, I want to go to the next steps here in just a moment, to, to what this court case may lead to or this decision. But I want to go back. You know, I played that clip of Jen Psaki saying that, uh, you know, the administration was talking to social media platforms. And, and, and I remember watching that press conference or that daily press briefing. She talked about Facebook. So we see just a, a, just a little bit, but that's enough. That was enough to raise, you know, concerns, suspicions for most of us. But because you had a court order, you were able to depose those within the Biden administration and actually find that those types of comments were just the tip of the iceberg. Tell us, tell our viewers a little bit about what you found when you were able to depose these individuals in that in those 20,000 pages of uh, information. 
Well, again, it's we've uncovered a relationship of coercion and collusion. I think Jin Saki undersells uh, exactly what was going on. It wasn't that they were coordinating or communicating with big tech social media. They were demanding censorship and obtaining that censorship. There were both explicit and implicit threats made to big tech if they didn't acquiesce to the demands of White House officials and to officials at the Department of Justice. This goes beyond just the White House. Now, we do have email traffic from the White House to big tech social media in March, April, and May of 2021 where Rob Flaherty at the White House Communications Office says the demands are coming from the very top levels of the White House. But we've also got evidence that it's spread across a spectrum of bureaucratic agencies, and the censorship enterprise grew so quickly and so uh, in such scale that the federal government had to design a new bureaucratic apparatus to manage it. And certainly that's what the court in, uh, found based on the evidence we put on at the trial court and what was affirmed at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. This was a vast censorship enterprise orchestrated by the White House on a magnitude unheard of in America's history. Now, think about that for a minute. Go back to 1798 when President John Adams instituted the Alien and Sedition Act to jail and imprison anyone who opposed his foreign policy. And what the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has said is this is worse. And that's why we're going to keep fighting to defend our right to free speech. So in, in some cases, based upon the information that you've obtained, would you say that some of the social media platforms were reluctant in taking the actions that they took and it was done basically at duress because of the threats made by the Biden administration? Yeah, absolutely. There were both explicit and implicit uh, threats made. We know that the court has identified that there was always a silent or else. Do what the White House says or else. And that the uh, White House and the FBI relied on the inherent authority of their offices and the FBI as a law enforcement agency to achieve this censorship. I would also point out that the court found that uh, big tech changed their terms of service changed their algorithms at the demand of the White House and uh, the Department of Justice. So this is censorship at its very worst. This is exactly why we have the First Amendment. And, you know, the the uh, big tech marketplace acts differently because the Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act has been misinterpreted by the courts to create this oligarchic monopoly that's easier for the federal government to have control over. And that's what makes it so dangerous and pernicious. All right. So what's next? They have 10 days. This uh, this injunction goes in place across the nation unless they appeal to the Supreme Court. What do you think will happen next here? Well, I think that we're going to the highest court in the land. I mean, I think that's uh, inevitable. Again, these are the worst First Amendment violations in this nation's history. Certainly, that's what the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals found. And so they kind of telegraphed that this would end up at the United States Supreme Court. And I think 50, 100 years from now, people will be reading the case of Missouri v. Biden in a a constitutional law textbook and learning about uh, when we restored our right to free speech in this country and protected it from government censorship at Biden's demand. So in let's say this goes to the Supreme Court and and they uphold the Fifth Circuit uh, ruling here. Will anyone be held accountable? I mean, I mean, we've we've this was damaging to the country. People were censored. People lost their jobs. There was so much that happened. Will anybody be held accountable? Absolutely. We're going to root out this vast censorship enterprise and hold wrongdoers accountable. We now have the power of contempt under the court proceeding to hold wrongdoers accountable. I think Congress needs to look at appointing an inspector general, and we got to keep building that wall of separation between tech and state. But you're absolutely right. Look, the harm wasn't frozen in time. The harm wasn't just a few people who were deplatformed or de-emphasized or who, uh, whose posts were taken down during COVID. The harm is ongoing, and that's exactly what the Fifth Circuit found. There's a chilling effect on speech where now people are self-censoring. 
They're afraid to talk about President Trump. They're afraid to talk about election integrity. They're afraid to talk about COVID because they think they'll be removed from these big tech social media platforms because of the censorship that the government did. I would also point out that the First Amendment protects not only the speakers, but the listeners. It's not just the people whose voices were silenced. It's the rest of us that could have used that information to make individualized decisions that were harmed. So the harm was significant. It was across an entire, it radiated across every user on big tech social media platforms, and it persists today. So what will be the practical outcome of this? Number one, for free speech, if this, as you said, you feel pretty confident it's going to the Supreme Court, but the evidence seems to be pretty overwhelming that they violated the First Amendment. Let's just say they go with the Fifth Circuit. What will be the practical outcome here going forward? Well, that we need a, nation, a, a permanent nationwide injunction to, again, build the wall of separation between tech and state to prevent the federal government from silencing American voices on big tech social media platforms. And we've only done preliminary discovery to get a preliminary injunction. Like you said, we've only begun to scratch the surface. We've got to continue to root out this vast censorship enterprise and put a stop to it. And it, it, the, the time is of the essence. I mean, the clock is running here because we're moving into an election cycle. And in court on May 26th, when uh, the Department of Justice Biden's attorneys were asked by the judge whether or not it would be a violation of the First Amendment for the Department of Justice to uh, censor an American citizen questioning the integrity of an election. The Department of Justice was noncommittal. They are dedicated to future violations of the First Amendment. So that wall of separation between tech and state is vital now more than ever. COVID was the Trojan horse that got the enemy behind the wall. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, um, because th- there's so much more going on here. So, General Bailey, let's say this injunction is in place and you have more violations in the future, who can take action then to hold the government accountable to the provisions of the injunction? Well, we'll go to court and hold individuals accountable and ask that they be held in contempt and jailed if necessary. I mean, that's absolutely critical. But I would also point out that Congress has a role to play here. You know, there have been congressional hearings on the weaponization of uh, government and uh, on the government's response to COVID that have both uh, made the same findings that the court has made in our lawsuit. So that's two branches of government finding that the executive branch has violated the First Amendment. And so I think Congress's role is to appoint an inspector general to monitor compliance with the court order and to ensure that federal officials in the executive branch aren't violating our First Amendment rights. And that's the best remedy they can provide. Mine's the lawsuit and the power of contempt as provided by the courts. I mean, this is a, as you say, this is a really big deal, because if we don't have free speech in this country, or we have it, but we're afraid to use it because we might lose it, then we don't have it. We, We have to be free to speak our minds, even if it runs counter to the, uh, you know, the predominant thinking of Washington, D.C., It's critical. Well, and that's exactly the problem with the censorship campaign orchestrated by the federal government under Biden's demand. They targeted one viewpoint. This wasn't targeting misinformation. Every piece of information that they they censored ended up being truthful, and it was entirely stilted towards conservatives. They only silenced voices in opposition. That is a clear betrayal of our trust and values and a violation of the First Amendment right to free speech. Would individuals, once this is uh, fully adjudicated and it's proven that they did violate First Amendment rights, and if there's evidence out there for particular individuals, will they be able to take private action against uh, government officials? 
I think so. And at the end of the day, you know, I would submit that we have proven it. I mean, again, we went to court on May 26 and had to put on evidence to justify the nationwide injunction, the preliminary injunction. The court believed the evidence, issued that injunction, and it's now been reviewed and affirmed by the Court of Appeals. So we've proven that we're likely to succeed on the merits, and we can establish that there's been individuals who have been harmed. Again, the, the magnitude of the harm radiates across every single user of big tech social media, not just those that were individually censored, but those that were deprived of necessary well, information. That sounds like a class action suit to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we're proud in the state of Missouri to have partnered with like-minded Attorney General uh, Jeff Landry in Louisiana and private plaintiffs as well. But I think that uh, we've only begun to scratch the surface. And as we get more evidence, I think that the the magnitude of the violations, uh, Biden's violations of the First Amendment will only become more clear and more apparent. Well, thank you for fighting that fight. And uh, General Belly, you're actually going to be with us uh, this coming weekend at the Pray Vote Stand Summit talking about something else you've been working on there in the state of Missouri. Uh, give, our, give our viewers and listeners just a, 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 a taste of what you're going to be talking about. Well, so humbled at the opportunity to, to uh, attend the event and to speak. You know, at the end of the day, I want Missouri to be the safest state in the nation for children. And here in Missouri, we've taken a firm stand against gender mutilation, against style, child sterilization in the name of transgenderism. And so uh, proud of the work that we've done, both investigating these pediatric clinics, putting a stop to it, and supporting our legislative efforts uh, to, to ban it in statute. And we're the first state in the nation to have successfully defended a state statute uh, prohibiting these kinds of procedures at the trial court level. So proud of the work we've done to, to make Missouri the safest state in the nation for children. Well, and you've done an outstanding job on that front as well. And we look forward to having you as a part of this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. So I'll see you this coming weekend. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Looking forward to seeing you soon. All right. Uh, General Andrew Bailey of Missouri. This is, this is quite significant. It, it does give you hope that, uh, you know, there are courts you can still go to and justice can prevail. And as he said, this is likely going all the way to the Supreme Court. But I, I'm hopeful that maybe some of the trial lawyers out there who don't always see things eye to eye with us uh, might see dollar signs here and, uh, and go after those who violated the First Amendment. I think that would be uh, I think that would be big, really big. All right, folks, we're uh, we're out of time. For today, thanks so much for uh, joining us. I do want to encourage you to make plans now to join us for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a great weekend. Go to prayvotestand.org. You can find all the speakers uh, that will be with us and a number of breakout sessions. So it's not just sitting there listening; it is engaging. We want you to engage. We want you to go home ready to make a difference. All right. Tune in again tomorrow. For more Washington Watch. Until then, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.